Welcome to Indie Cider, where we go beyond the game and meet the developers behind today's indie hits. Hey, it's your host Ken Gagney with this week's episode of Indie Cider, except we're doing things a little bit differently this week. Instead of looking at a specific indie game, we're going to be looking at an indie event, the Boston Festival of Indie Games, or Boston Fig, which debuted in 2012, and is held every September at MIT, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. This year's event is on September 12th, which is still a ways off, but I recently had the opportunity to speak with one of the event's original co-founders, Fiona Sherbach. I briefly met her at Boston Fig 2013 and was reconnected with her recently through our mutual friend Emma Clarkson and had the opportunity to interview her for the Polygamer podcast, which is my other podcast that advocates for equality and diversity in gaming. We talked about many other things as well, including the Game Developers Conference, which, as this episode airs, is being held right now. The primary subject of our discussion was today, Wednesday, March 4th, she is hosting a panel called Turning the Tide, Hiring and Recruiting Women in the Games Industry. After we spoke about that subject for about a half an hour, we moved on to Boston Fig, and I'm happy to excerpt that part of the discussion for you this week on IndieCider. If you've already heard that episode of Polygamer, then I apologize, I have no original content for you this week on IndieCider. And it's not due to a dearth of indie games, there have been a ton of great releases lately, including but not limited to Sunless Sea, Social Justice Warriors, and Woe Dave Deluxe. Unfortunately, as I mentioned, not only is GDC occurring right now, but PAX East is coming up in just a day or two. Everybody is so frenetic and frantic, getting ready for one of these two events, or both, God help you, that there unfortunately just was not the opportunity to sit down and talk about indie game development. I myself have been quite busy getting ready for PAX, as I'll be moderating two panels. One is Saturday morning at 10am in the Dragonfly Theater, and it's called All the Feels, Empathy in Indie Game Narrative. I'll be talking with several indie game developers about how indie games, and empathy games in particular, can be used to discuss and deal with real-life situations. Anything from bullying to being war refugees. The other panel is Sunday afternoon at 1.30 in the Bumblebee Theater, and it is called Reboot Our Roots, Bringing Our Favorite Genres Back to Life. It is specially focusing on point-and-click adventure games like King's Quest and Maniac Mansion, and talking about what's it like to make games in those genres, or even in the case of King's Quest and Gabriel Knight, those specific franchises in the year 2015. Both of these panels are being recorded by Mr. Travis Stewart of Broken CRT Productions, and I look forward to having them on YouTube and perhaps the audio on one of these podcasts as well. If you're going to be at either of these panels, please say hello afterward. I would love to meet some listeners of IndieCider. In the meantime, back to the subject of Boston Fig. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Fiona Sherbach, and I'll be back in two weeks with more game developer interviews, both in this audio edition and, of course, on YouTube. You can always find more episodes at IndieCider.net or leave feedback at feedback at IndieCider.net or leave a review in iTunes. And thank you, as always, for listening. Today I'm chatting with Fiona Sherbach, the president of Theme Park Studios and senior staffing specialist at Gameloft. Hi, Fiona. Hi, Ken. How are you this evening? Doing great. So we're going to be talking about quite a few things today, including GDC and Boston Fig, but we need some context in which to understand that conversation. So you have quite the eclectic background in media, having worked at Disney and the Austin Film Festival, sketch comedy, Game X. What exactly would you say is your field or your career path or the strengths that you bring? I'm definitely an entertainment producer and marketer. I have been since the very beginning of my career. 
you know, I spent over a decade in Hollywood working in film and TV and the music industry uh, before working in games. So I treat all of those very much as entertainment fields. And my role has always been in some way responsible for the packaging and selling of a product, whether that was a film product, a game product, or even a person uh, as a human resource within an organization. And how long have you been doing that in the games industry, and what got you to go in that direction? I started out in 1997 in games. I actually uh, began with Origin Systems here in Austin, doing unit marketing and PR. Uh, there were a number of other smaller companies like Kinesoft Development, who I was also doing PR work for at that time. And that evolved. I was also doing journalism, believe it or not. I was writing articles for some of the local uh, press, some of which doesn't exist anymore here in Austin, about things like the brand new South by Southwest Interactive Festival, um, and and really just got very engaged by what was happening with game development um, here in Austin, Texas. So are you originally from Austin or from Boston? I'm actually originally from Los Angeles, believe it or not. So my, my early career was actually in Los Angeles and in Hollywood. I worked for Disney and Burbank. Uh, I worked for recording studios in Hollywood and um, had the opportunity to work you know, across uh, the theme park business, both at Universal and Disney. The Polygamer podcast has two goals. One is to look at how to improve the industry. The other half is celebrating what is already great about the industry. And I'd like to talk about the context in which you and I were originally acquainted, which is the Boston Festival of Indie Games, or Boston Fig, which you helped found back in 2012. Yeah, believe it or not, there's actually a women in games uh, component to the genesis of the festival. <laughs> so in October of 2011, I went to a Women in Games Boston event in Cambridge where there was a speaker named Matt Wees, who at that time was the studio manager of the MIT Game Lab. And he gave a talk to the Women in Games Boston audience about horror in video games and, and the role that female gender played in horror in video games. It was quite fascinating. And Matt and I started talking, and he invited me to the MIT Game Lab where I had a chance to take a tour. I'd learned that over about a five-year period, they had developed with their their students about 55 video games. And some of them were quite phenomenal. A number of them had gone on to get awards, uh, to go on to become commercial products. But by and large, most people didn't know about these games. They were sort of hidden within the MIT confines, not promoted, not marketed. And I went back to MIT a couple months later and said, why don't we do a festival? I don't see anything happening in Boston in terms of independent game development um, promotion. We could do a festival that centers on the MIT Game Lab and the games that you've developed over the years and invite other developers locally to come in and be part of that. And it was actually at GDC in 2012 that I had that next big conversation with Matt and um, his partner, Clara, who ended up being our curator for the first two years of the festival. That was the very, very, very early beginning. By May of 2012, after multiple meetings with MIT, we had formed an ad hoc committee of people. Myself, Caroline Murphy, Dan Silvers, and Justin Rounds were the principal original founders of the festival. Um, I had approached Caroline because she was at that time running Boston Indies, and MIT had asked me to approach her because they said, look, she's going to have a finger on the local community. Um, let's bring them in and make them part of this as well. I've attended all three Boston Figs, and I covered the first two for Computer World magazine. That first one had a great lineup of guest speakers, including Lee Alexander and I believe Jason Scott, and some great developers as well. 
but I remember the developers were crammed into some pretty small rooms, and that was a big change compared to the next two years, where they had a huge gymnasium, basically. So it sounds like Boss and Fig, the first one, was a little bit more popular than even you anticipated. You know, we knew that there were unknowns. When you do a first show, whenever you do a first show, there are certain unknowns. You know, we had made some predictions fairly early on, and considering that we had a less than six-month ramp up to produce and promote it um we we kind of leaned on the conservative side in terms of numbers when we saw that first show bust at the seams it was very encouraging it meant that we had done everything right you know while some things ended up not running smoothly because it was very jammed um, we also knew that that meant that the developers had a big audience and it also meant that press showed up and wrote about it. It also meant that sponsors who came there and spent their money on a first-time show actually got the audience that they wanted. You were part of Boston Fig for its first two years before moving to Texas. What were some of your highlights of those first two years, your favorite moments or accomplishments? I think seeing it come together. You know, there was a very focused effort to organize it at the grassroots level, but to follow a professional festival format in order to make that happen. And we developed a production team that was very egalitarian and very democratic. We worked very hard together as a group um, to, you know, really look at every possible facet of how to make it a good event, how to make it something that worked for the community as well as for the, the game developers who were showing their games. Um, and how to make it appealing to an audience that maybe wasn't familiar with those games. You know, it's one thing to throw an event where well-known game titles are being shown. I'll reference PAX as an example. It's another thing to have games and developers who no one has ever heard of and say, here's something you should come check out. So the fact that we were able to develop and manifest a very aggressive and successful marketing and PR campaign year to year has, for me, been a big accomplishment. Uh, I'm very proud of those efforts. I think I need to get that same marketing campaign to help me with my YouTube channel because when I put up videos, you know, let's say I put up a video of Grand Theft Auto or Destiny or Call of Duty, I get I would get tons of hits. But when I put up videos of indie games, people aren't necessarily searching for those words, and I don't get the page views that I, I feel these games deserve. They they deserve to get more attention because they're so creative and artistic and experimental. It, it was one of the key reasons to have the festival was the recognition that. You know, I had been in other markets, including Austin, where, you know, Austin's a great place, but does not have the depth and breadth of indie game development that Boston does. And I think one of the reasons Boston's indie scene is so much deeper is because you do have so many more uh, tech and science program schools that really are supporting that type of activity. So you have a lot of students and grads coming out with the, the resources and the knowledge to actually develop games, to make good games. So to me, it felt like a void that needed to be filled and that Boston was a great place to have an event like that, not just because of Boston local, but also the fact that you could attract developers from New York, Montreal, Philly, wherever on the eastern seaboard where they would, they would have a chance to actually have their work seen and promoted. I'm almost surprised it took this long to create something like Boston Fig because there are so many indie groups representing that community here in Boston. As you mentioned, Women in Games, but also uh, Caroline Murphy's Boston Indies Group and Boston Games Forum, now known as Playcrafting, the Boston Postmortem. I'm surprised that it basically took an outsider, per se, someone who was not acting as a representative of one of those four groups to create Boston Fig. There's a reason for it. Event production is its own discipline. Everything you just described, those are well-formed and very 
uh, uh, worthy organizations that act primarily as community support for the people who are who are involved with them. I have almost 20 years doing trade shows and consumer events, producing uh, seminars, conferences, uh, all types of events of all sizes from you know 200 to 20,000. So for me, it was a combination of my love for games and game development and applying all of my event production and marketing skills and saying, we have an opportunity here, let's do something with it. And that's a fantastic skill set that you brought to the table, and I'm glad that you were in the right place at the right time to create this institution in Boston that has now continu- uh, persisted even beyond your ability to be locally involved in it. And that was always the plan. You know, the expectation was to build success the first two years, develop a blueprint, and a team that could continue to operate and that could continue to evolve. You know, we've changed the leadership a little bit from year to year, and that's been a healthy evolution that's helped with the growth of the studio. Um, I continue to be an advisor. Some of our prior producers also continue to be advisors. So there's a lot of legacy that continues to support the festival, and, and we hope to see it continue to grow. I love attending the panels and keynotes at various events, where whether it's Boston Fig or PAX. And at Boston Fig 2013, you had two great keynote speakers. One was Robin Hunicky of Journey, and you had the Videri String Quartet playing her music, which is just a phenomenal combination. I loved that. <laughs> uh, and then I, when, when I finally got to briefly meet you, it was to take a photo of you with my friend Paul Marzagalli and the other keynote speaker, Brian O'Halloran, better known as playing Dante in the movie Clerks. He would not strike some people as an obvious choice for a festival about indie games. So what was the correlation there, clerks and indie games? There, there's a, a couple things, several things, actually. So one, going back to games being about media and culture, right? So pop culture is represented by celebrity types. When we go to conventions or cons, you know, we see a lot of celebrities there, uh, you know, BC-level celebrities who, guess what? They love games. They play games. They're all about games. Brian's one of those people. You know, he started out playing D&D when he was a kid. One of, the, one of the talks that he gave at Boston Fig was how D&D basically saved his life, um, that it stopped him from going out and being a gangster on the street as a teenager. Um, and, and But then he continues to be a huge fan of games. I think one of the, the best experiences I ever had with him is that we were both at a, a game consumer show in Philadelphia some years ago and Yahtzee came around the corner, Yahtzee Crenshaw and or Kershaw, and he he Brian jumped about twenty feet in the air, landed feet first in front of Yahtzee and said, I'm your biggest fan. That's awesome. So his enthusiasm level for games and game development is very high, like a lot of other people who are well-known celebrity figures. So bringing him in as MC made a lot of sense because he could really talk about it. He understood the medium. Um, he understands the fans and the players, um, and he brings a very smart uh, perspective to it. Has he ever wanted to get into game development himself, do you know? Um, I don't know about development per se. I think he would like to have more of a creative role, perhaps doing voiceover um, or participating in game testing. I mean, he's someone who definitely plays constantly. So I would say on some level, yes. But, uh, you know, I think he would just appreciate the opportunity to, to keep participating in game events. So you mentioned that Austin, where you are now, doesn't necessarily have the level of indie scene that Boston does. Are you still able to get your indie fix in your new home? There is an indie scene here. It's the scale's just different. We do have several pretty strong groups. There's a VR Austin group, which is quite active. 
um, Video Game Makers Unite, which is put on at the Capitol uh, Factory in downtown once a month where developers come in and show their latest work. And then, of course, you know, we have the, the offshoots of South by Southwest Interactive, um, Fantastic Arcade, which is a very nice little festival here in Austin um, that's part of Fantastic Fest, a big film festival. So there, I, I don't want to say there is minimal community. There's a pretty good one. Um, but in terms of individual developers making games, it's probably about 40% of what's in Boston. Sure, sure. I didn't mean to suggest that Austin has no or minimal, just that it's dwarfed by Boston. Yeah, it's just we don't have the number of, of tech schools to support it, so you just don't have as many people making games. I would say the people who are here making them are quite passionate, um, and and when you go to these events, especially something like Wagos Rancheros at the North Door once a month, uh, where you get to see two or three new games, you realize, oh, you know, even though we don't have quite the scale of Boston, there's there's still some very strong work here. And I don't know if there'll be a future, you know, sort of Austin indie festival. I think these smaller groups tend to sort of support the, the community based on the size that it is. Now, Austin, of course, is just an hour northeast of San Antonio, which just last month played host of the very first PAX South. Did you happen to be there? I did. As a matter of fact, I gave a very similar presentation at PAX South. Very similar topic. It was with hiring managers and HR heads from Texas-based studios, uh, specifically Arcane, Battlecry, uh, and EA. And we had a, a standing room only audience of over 500 who came in to hear some of the same topics and ask some of the same questions that you are today. It was a great experience. Um, San Antonio is a good location for PAX because it is a high populous city. Um, it is certainly a place where you would have a high number of consumers show up pretty automatically. But I know for a fact that people flew in from all over the place. Sure. I had friends flying there all the way from North Dakota. Now, this being the first PAX South, I imagine that there may have been some growing pains or just getting the lay of the land. I know PAX East, for example, its very first year was at the Heinz Convention Center. And it didn't take them long to realize that it was too big an event for that venue. And they moved to the BCEC for the next 20 years or so. Well, it, it goes back to what I said earlier about first events, right? Your first event, two things happen with the first event. One, you, you get a lay of the land and you really learn about your local audience. Two, it's your last opportunity to make any mistakes. That's an interesting way of putting it. Yeah, it's, it's, you, you kind of get a, 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 a get-out-of-jail card free with that first event because anything that didn't go well or could have been done differently or better or should have been handled you know, a certain way, you can look back at it and go, you know what? It was the first event. We know what to do next time. Um, you know, PAX and Penny Arcade do such a great job of producing their events. They know what they're doing. They shipped in all of their enforcers. I met and spoke to about a half dozen of those enforcers. All of them came in from Seattle. Um, they're really experienced. They're really well organized. They're very well trained. They're very smart people. Um, so anything that the show didn't live up to or couldn't deliver this first time around, I'm not too worried about it. I think a lot of the bigger name companies tend to hold back on a new show. They want, they have the same attitude, which is we want to see it prove itself. Well, also, there are just so many PAXs nowadays to support that it's getting almost challenging to be at all the events. I think it depends on your goal. If, if you're a publisher or you're anyone involved with marketing or promoting a product, you just need to get there, right? Like, go to the show because this is another subsection of your audience who's going to go out and talk to other consumers who buy your product. So, it, you know, regionally speaking, 
I remember when the first PAX East happened and it sold out in like minutes, it was a big indicator to me of how important the Northeast was as a consumer community. And I'm impressed by the studios that are able to appear at so many of these events. For example, 11-Bit Studios, creators of this war of mine, they're based out of Poland. I knew that they were coming to PAX East, and I was surprised to hear that they were also at PAX South, because that's just six weeks apart that they're making this trip all the way from Europe to be at these events. But I would think that an indie studio wouldn't necessarily have the budget for that, but they must see the value in it. I think the value is there. There, there is no competition to PAX. PAX, for, for the time being and maybe forever, is the preeminent game consumer show. It, it is the uh, sort of you know be-all, end-all for, for showing up at one event where you can see new games, play games, actually have accessibility to the games and the people who make them, uh, go into panels and actually learn things, not just as a consumer, but maybe um, as a wannabe developer or someone already working in the business. So they've got a great model. They've, they've really figured it out. And as much as we already have to choose which events to go to, I wish that they would, to the extent that they can, coordinate the scheduling so that we can go to more of the events. I know that not only is PAX East and GDC at the same time, as we previously mentioned, but PAX South and MAGFest down in D.C. were at the same time. And it's, it's challenging for those of us who just want to go to them all. I, I agree. I, you know, I, I can't go to all of them either. And I feel like if, if there are three of them now, that's actually good news because at least it's a little easier to get to one of them. Four if you count Australia. I won't go to Australia. <laughs> <laughs> I've been there. It's lovely. It's worth the trip. Maybe not just for PAX, but for everything else. So you have accomplished a lot in the gaming industry, presenting these panels at PAX and at GDC and founding Boston Fig. Any upcoming adventures you want to share with us? I am working right now with a Silicon Valley-based publisher who is um, working with indie game developers to license their games and market them in China. So as part of my work with Boston Fig and the, and the bigger indie game development community as a whole, I'm working with developers to get their games uh, marketed and sold in the Chinese market. Wow, that can be a very challenging market. The culture is very different over there. It is, but there are some things that, that are pretty um, clear. You know, Android products are in. That's number one. Uh, number two is that we do have a really awesome game review and evaluation process that tells us whether or not uh, a game will survive and thrive in that market. Uh, there's a bit of a litmus test for that. So we, we, we're pretty excited. We've already put out about 10 games in China in the last year and uh, expect to be doing twice that in the next six months. Excellent. And I don't know if this was told to me off the record, but can we talk about your upcoming relocation to Seattle, the hotbed of the gaming industry? Sure, absolutely. I'm excited about Seattle. Seattle's always been on my personal list. It's one of the places in the tech and entertainment world I have not lived. Um, my husband, Morgan Ogburn, is now art director for Game Off Seattle. And one of my former bosses from Tencent, Michael Fitch, is the studio GM there in Seattle. So we're very excited to be making the move. Um, Seattle is you know, probably the number two location in the United States in terms of density of game development after Bay Area. And I, I just can't wait to get there because there's so many people I know who are already there. Right. I once had a job interview in the game industry out in Seattle, and I'm glad it didn't work out for a variety of reasons, but there would have been a lot of upsides to being in that location. Just the number of opportunities in the games industry, the number of experts and industry professionals that you get to meet and work with and collaborate with, I, I'm really envious. I think it's a very grown-up environment because of companies like Microsoft and Amazon, Bungie, Valve. These companies have been there for a long time, so you, you've got a very 
deep local culture of, you know, AAA game development at the highest level. And I think that's what I'm looking forward to is, is being in an environment where uh, it's kind of the heartbeat of where a lot of that development is happening. Yet to be seen what the indie scene looks like, hard to know. Uh, there may not be as much room for indie since so many people are working in the higher level jobs, but uh, it's one of the things I hope to discover. Great. Well, I look forward to learning more about your adventures and what you discover when you're out in Seattle. I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me. Where can our listeners find you online? I am... Twitter is F. Sherbach, and I'm on LinkedIn, and you can email me at Fiona at ThemeParkStudios.com. Great. And that Twitter is F-C-H-E-R-B-A-K. Correct. Well, thank you again so much for your time. I appreciate learning more about Boston Fig. And if listeners want to hear the original conversation that also includes talks about GDC and hiring and recruiting women for the games industry, they can find that at polygamer.net. This has been IndieCider, a GameBits production. Find more episodes, read our blog, or send feedback at IndieCider.net.